You're listening to Bodyful, a podcast that explores the wonder and complexities of living in this human form and how we can engage in an ongoing practice of bodyfulness to become more fully at home in ourselves and in the interconnected web of Gaia, the living earth. I'm your host, Valerie Martin, and I'm the founder of the Gaia Center for Embodied Healing, where we support folks in their growth and healing work with somatic psychotherapy and embodiment practices. We hear all the time about the importance of being mindful, and it's time to invite our bodies to the party. Welcome to Bodyful. Welcome back to Bodyful. I am feeling super zen out right now. I just finished doing a 30-minute open focus training practice. Um, I will be at some point in the near future interviewing Susan Shore Femi, who is uh, the wife of the late Les Femi, the creator of open focus attention training. And I recently discovered this and it is like blowing my mind open. It feels like exactly the thing that I have needed and I can't wait to share uh, more about it with you in an interview with Susan. So in the meantime, highly recommend checking out the book The Open Focus Brain. It's available on Audible as well and I've been using the practices for just about a week now and they're amazing. So that aside, um, we've got a lot of exciting things going on here at the Gaia Center. We are starting a music therapy group with music therapist Riley Weber here in town. So if that is something of interest to you and you're in the Nashville area, make sure to connect with us. Um, And today, later today, is the first sort of reuniting of my women's group, which is uh, called Coming Home to Yourself. And I am super jazzed about that. So if you want to stay in the loop, oh, hey, sirens. If you want to stay in the loop about all of the things we have going on, including blog posts, podcast episodes, and some of our therapist's favorite resources, Sign up for our monthly newsletter at bit.ly slash the Gaia Center News. Or if you forget that, you can just head to our website, gaiacenter.co, and you will find the link for the newsletter there. Oh, and in addition to our music therapist who will be doing some work with us a couple of days a week, we have an art therapist, Caitlin King, who's moving to town in just a couple of weeks, and Santasha Wright Comer, who is a new therapist joining our team as well. It is super exciting over here. And Gracie Calvanesso, who is our new administrative assistant. Um, She is part of who's making this podcast possible. Thank you, Gracie. So check out our newsletter to stay in the loop. And let's get into today's episode. I recorded this interview a little while back. So I'm actually really excited to re-listen to this conversation too. Amber Carnes is a yoga teacher trainer, ruckus maker, the founder of Body Positive Yoga, and a lifelong student of her body. 
Amber trains yoga teachers and movement educators how to create accessible and equitable spaces for liberation and belonging. She also creates community for folks who want to build unshakable confidence and learn how to live without shame or apology in the bodies they have today. Amber is the co-creator of Yoga for All Teacher Training and the Accessible Yoga Training School. She's an Accessible Yoga Association board member, in fact, I think right now the board president, and a sought-after contributor on the topics of accessibility, authentic marketing, culture shifting, and community building. She lives in Baltimore, Maryland with her husband, Jimmy. You can find Amber online at bodypositiveyoga.com and on Instagram at ambercarns, with a K, official. I am so excited to share with you this conversation with Amber Carnes. Let's get into it. Amber, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Thanks for having with me. Or having with yeah, me. you know. I just thank you for getting the the human rawness and awkwardness just right off the bat because I I am always um, in favor of leaning into our awkwardness instead of trying to pretend that we're not. So. <laughs> Thank goodness. Um, <laughs> I feel like if nothing else, the last uh, year plus has made me more awkward. So hopefully I'll get to, you know, use some of those skills that I've yes, exactly. Just pre- in the pandemic. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. So before we jump into the conversation, let's take a minute to ground and center and just breathe. So for whoever's listening, feel free to join us if it's safe for you. Eyes open or closed. And just find the natural rhythm of your breath. Noticing the support of the surface underneath you. And as you just let the breath breathe itself, you're starting to become aware of what's here right now what's here in the body and the mind in the heart just taking note and making room coming into this conversation with this full permission of whatever shows up is welcome to show up. I'm taking one more full breath. And coming back into the space. Here we are. So, yes, and I always just like to um, kind of pry a little bit and just ask what you noticed, anything you want to share about what's present for you? For me, yeah, I don't know. I felt this, um, I don't know, maybe it's because like we were laughing and I'm like excited to be here, but like the top of my face didn't want to relax. And then like I took a few breaths 
and felt like all these muscles, like, you know, and it's like, it's always interesting for me to notice, uh, like the release of something I didn't realize I was, I was holding. Does that make Absolutely. sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Like even just now I'm like, why are my toes, toes curling? Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> they can do that or they cannot, And just, they're trying to help you out. <laughs> right. There's always a reason for it. And I mean, we are these wise animals who also know how to get in our own way. So, um, yeah. So I'm curious for you to maybe just start off with, um, you do some sort of embodiment and not even just in the physical sense, but in the whole person sense, that's what you do in the world for your work. Um, and I'm curious what brought you there. Yeah, so um, I am, yeah, I guess I do embodiment for my work. That's like an interesting way to put that. Um, it's definitely a huge part of the work that I do. So yeah, my um, um, my work is in the yoga realm mostly right now. And I'm the founder of Body Positive Yoga. I'm sure we'll talk about what that means <laughs> <laughs> later. Um, but I came to yoga specifically um in my early 20s, I'm 39 now, um, and I came to yoga through a gym that I was working out at. At the time, I was really still pretty caught up in diet culture and on a big weight loss project. Um, I've always been in a bigger body ever since my early teenage years, and um, you know, for many, many years, I really hated that body. I thought it didn't really have much to do with the real me, and you know, at some date when my perfect body arrives, it would show up and then then I would be allowed to like be who I was and, you know, really like step into the fullness of, of Amber and travel and ask people out and, you know, all those things. Um, and so at this gym, you know, the trainer tells me like, oh, you should go do yoga on your rest days because it doesn't really count as exercise, but you burn a lot of calories. Like that was my introduction <laughs> yeah. to yoga, which I would say now, I think there's a little more to it, that. but that was, you know, I'm like, okay, coach, off to the <laughs> y- yoga studio I go. And so I don't remember much about like what we did in the first class, but I remember being like the only bigger person there and, you know, kind of feeling self-conscious. But the thing that like really caught my attention about it was leaving that class and like getting back in my car to head home and like five or 10 minutes into the drive, noticing the, um, what I call the mean girl soundtrack Mm, turned back mm -hmm. on in my brain. You know, I don't know if y'all can relate. It's like this voice. It's like, you're fat, you're ugly. Everyone's mad at you. Why'd you say that dumb Mm -hmm. thing? you know, kind of this like negative self-talk loop that plays on repeat. (laughs) And so I noticed like if that started again, that that meant it stopped. (laughs) Like she shut up for five minutes and I was like, oh, Hmm. I didn't know I could get quiet from that. You know what I mean? Like that voice kind of been there since I was 10 or 11 years old. And like, it's always kind of this low hum of, uh, and sometimes Mm -hmm. high hum of anxiety and and sort of self-judgment. And that really caught my attention. I was like, whoa, like, can I do that again? Like, maybe it was the class, like, I'll go back and try it again. And it was true. Like, I would go to the class and I would realize, like, after I left, like, I felt a little calmer. I'm kind of a high, strong person. I felt like it, like, took me down a frequency. Um, I would notice my self-talk was a little nicer. You know, it was just, like, things like that um, that sort of just appeared out of nowhere after the class, you know. And, And at the time, I couldn't have put it into words, but I know that now, like what I was experiencing was embodiment, Mm -hmm. like probably for the first time since I was a little kid. And, you know, my experience of movement as a kid was really about like 
pleasure or means to an end, right? Like I'm running to get somewhere because I'm catching up with my friends or I'm going to, you know, jump on the trampoline because it's fun or I'm swimming because it's hot, you know? And then I think dominant culture starts to give us an education about uh, what our bodies are for and what they're supposed to look like and what you're supposed to eat and good people exercise Mm -hmm. and lazy people don't and all of that stuff. Right. And so then movement or embodiment or being in your body becomes about something Mm -hmm. else. Right. It becomes almost this thing where you have to like split off from yourself and always observe yourself all the time as sort of like, are you sucking in your stomach? Do you look good in front of the mirror? Are you, you know, posing for a picture? Like what you sort of, you know, observe yourself from outside your body when you're in this like judgmental space um, to try to like get yourself lined up with whatever the the lack is that society says you have. And so that is very different than this sort of like being in your body and with your body that happens, I think, when you really uh, are able to to do like the practice of yoga or other forms of like mindful movement. Um, and so I think that really brought me back to that knowledge that was already in me. Like I knew how to be in my body. I knew how to, um, you know, move in a way that felt good. I knew how to connect with um, things in my body, like pleasure and health and desire and boundaries and all of the things that I think we kind of, mm, that become say like misaligned Mm -hmm. or perverted when we like get these, I think this conditioning from dominant culture that starts the minute we come out of the womb, you know? Um, And so yoga for me really like for the first time in a very long time, put me on the same side as my body. Mm -hmm. Right. Then I wasn't like struggling against my weight or like, I want my body to do this thing, you know, become thin and it won't do that. So therefore I hate my, you know, I want to change it. I want to fix it. Like yoga wasn't about changing or fixing anything. And ultimately, like, I was kind of grateful for the way that um, this trainer introduced it because he said, yoga doesn't count as exercise. Mm. So therefore, I approached it very differently Hmm. than I would approach exercise, which in the gym, you know, when I or when I'm exercising, well, exercise always took place in the gym, (laughs) right? That exercise is about punishing my body Mm -hmm. for not being a certain thing, or it's about earning my food or my dinner or burning calories from something I wish I hadn't eaten or it's about morality, right? Like good people exercise, lazy people don't. Like all these conditioning, um, I think things that are detrimental to us from society, but that really are reinforced through all of the sort of stories and ads and media and the way our parents and coaches and teachers and schools and churches and everything, right? Mm -hmm. Body image is very cumulative. And so I think for me, you know, having a different way to interact with my body that was really about getting to know it in a new way and like based in a space of curiosity rather than a space of punishment or a space of sort of like you need to change um, rather than like changing or fixing yoga really showed me that there was a different sort of relationship I could have with my body, which was about learning, which was about curiosity, which was about um, I think care and really like um, caring for a body that society says is the opposite of what's Mm. good or worthy or desired. Um, And so I think yoga really like was the first kind of catalyst to like crack that open from like a body perspective and all that sort of yoga stuff was started happening at the same time that I was getting like 
and education and social justice and sort of sociology, not in any formal way, but through like the people I was following online through lived experiences that I would see, you know, myself or other friends that have marginalized identities go through and kind of like noticing this, this thing, this body image thing that kind of gets put on us as like a personal problem to solve, you know, like go work on your self-esteem or like get better with your self-care or just don't care about what they think. Or, you know, it's sort of like um, put on us as this like personal thing to solve that actually, wow, like the whole way that society is set up gets us to this place where we feel so messed up about these bodies that we have that like there's literally nothing wrong with these bodies mm -hmm. um, um that often the things that we think are wrong or bad or undesirable are merely like conditioning that we have from from society because that keeps the status quo where it is and it keeps the people who have the most power in power and beauty standards and all of that stuff you know stems from mm -hmm. that and so um for me, like those two things of sort of like the personal part of this yoga practice that was really like connecting me back to my body in a way that I hadn't been in a very long time. And this sort of like political zoomed out like knowledge of the way that society sort of um, teaches us about bodies and sets us up to be in relationship to our bodies um, kind of happened in tandem. And it really changed everything, mm. you know, and I, I, um, I started a uh, yoga teacher training after I had been practicing about seven years and I really didn't plan to teach ever. Um, I didn't really want to, I just wanted to learn like the rest of the yoga, <laughs> you know, um, out of what outside of whatever I was learning in classes. And about halfway through that experience, I realized that actually I did have a lot to share from my own perspective of being someone who was in a larger body um, and was teaching yoga. Um, because I actually didn't get a lot of instruction in my teacher training at all about how to work with people like me. Mm -hmm. And I was the only, you know, person in a bigger body in that training. And I would notice that, like, I had a really different experience than a lot of the other students where, um, you know, they would start talking about, or we'd have to give feedback, you know, on like the sequence that the person just taught. And I'd be like, well, when you say step your foot mm -hmm. forward from down dog into lunge, like my belly hits my thigh, I can't get there. And I just want y'all to know that. Like, oh, well, how do you do it? And then it's like, I'm teaching mm -hmm. the teacher, you know, how to do it. And it really made an impression on me. Like this knowledge is, is something that people need. And, you know, I kept coming back to yoga classes because I was getting such a profound, like, mental health benefit, basically, from it. But the physical part was difficult. Mm -hmm. You know, it took me a lot of years to find a teacher that really saw me and was like, hey, it looks like you figured out some stuff on your own. And here are some other tools to personalize your practice so you can really participate in some of these ways that other people can just because they're in a smaller body. And so... Um, I decided to start blogging and making some videos and stuff like that to help other folks like me that, you know, this was before Instagram, this was before there was a bunch of people with YouTube channels about this kind of stuff, and I really didn't find the resources I wanted, and so that's kind of where the work began. Mm -hmm. it's, it's evolved a lot since then, but I think the, you know, it made, yoga made such a personal connection for me that it really... You know, it sounds trite to say it changed my life, but it did mm -hmm. change my perspective on this, you know, weird meat suit that we're going <laughs> around. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that really does, I think, change things um, for a lot of people. Yeah. Anyway, I talk a no, lot. No, there's so many, so many pieces <laughs> of that that are so good. Um, I, I think you said somewhere on your website that yoga turned my body into a place I could call home. 
And I think like that's mm -hmm. all hopefully, whether it is yoga or it's some other type of embodiment practice, like that's what we all need in these human animal bodies. And yet, as you're saying, so much of dominant culture is stacked against us to ever get there, especially if you add on any marginalized identities, intersection of marginalized identities, like, and, and like even people who might be at that like center point of almost every privileged identity, it even fucks them over too, right? It's like the whole system oh, yeah. is just, it's not good for anyone. So figuring out what the practice is or what, what the thing is that helps you find that home in your own body. And, and I love that. Yeah. That even though it was introduced to you in like, um, a more like fitness weight loss kind of oriented way yeah. that you were able to have a different kind of relationship with it. And, um, and then, you know, to eventually like merge that kind of experience and the benefits of mental health and the individual piece with the, you know, liberation and social justice piece. It's so interesting. Just, you know, kind of, I did my teacher training in maybe 2015 and um, have had some awareness of like social justice stuff for, you know, maybe 15 years, but increasingly more so in, in recent years. And just the fact that it's still to me, and I, this may be just some level of it is my own ignorance and bubble, but that it's like almost this new idea in recent years of like, oh, guess what? We can combine this like, mind body spirit practice of yoga with liberation and justice and it's like obviously it's not a new thing that those those paths intersect but in the mainstream it is and it's still somewhat revolutionary and it's like duh you know <laughs> yeah yeah i think for sure you know the ways that i mean most of my experience with yoga happened in america and um, in the United States. And one of the things that I think really influences, I guess, the conversation we have around yoga, or even if you interview someone on the street and be like, what do you, what, what happens when you go to a yoga mm -hmm. class? Like, what do you think yoga right. is? You know, it's very much the fitness pursuit. And um, because of how I think capitalism and white supremacy and diet culture all have sort of laid on mm -hmm. top of this practice that yes, has a physical component, but the physical component has now been, you know, magnified to like 95% mm -hmm. of what it is, right? And it's, it's driven because that's what drives commerce, because that's what, mm -hmm. you know, upholds these systems, and it fits very comfortably there. But that actually yoga is much more than asana, the physical mm -hmm. part. Um, asana, you know, if you're following the traditional, like Ashtanga yoga, it's the eight limb path, um, not Ashtanga is like, the brand of yoga that's practiced, but like that word in Sanskrit um, means the eight limb path. Asana is one, one of eight, mm -hmm. you know, it's not number one. <laughs> it's not even the first one in the order, you know, but I think that um, in our culture, the way that we have equated worth with beauty, worth with uh, ability, worth with health, worth with productivity, like means that that, that physical prowess and aesthetic uh, aestheticism, mm. is, is that right? Where aesthetics, mm. we'll just say, um, image, looks, um, all of that stuff have really been, I think, emphasized in the practice to where a lot of people don't realize that yoga has its own meditation tradition or that yoga also deals with things like 
ethics and, you know, community care and all of these other pieces that I think are so rich and can really make the practice like um, practical to our everyday lives and not just something that you do if you have a babysitter and you can afford a $20 drop-in class for an hour or something, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So with kind of taking that um, more fully integrated approach to yoga and to your work in the world, then creating this body positive yoga that's like meeting a need both just for practitioners and for other teachers, um, increasing accessibility, increasing inclusivity. Is there anything you want to say just about how you sort of define what body positive yoga means? Definitely, because I feel like um, the term body positive or body positivity has changed mm-hmm. since I started, you know, using it for that, um, for the name of my business, <laughs> whatever, my blog, <laughs> that then became a business. Um, so, you know, when I first started teaching and when I first started blogging, which is like partway through my teacher training was 2010. So almost, you know, what, 10, 11, 11 years ago at this point, um, the body positive movement um, and body positivity was is a, a social justice movement that was born out of the fat, fat acceptance movement. And fat acceptance as a movement was really designed um, as a justice movement um, to provide, you know, to ensure access for all bodies, um, to look at things like not only how fat phobia shows up, but also how it intersects with things like ableism and racism. Um, And so it was really a a social justice movement that centered fat bodies and marginalized people. Body positivity, I think, grew out of that and has, you know, been a way to include other folks who maybe are not identified as fat or who aren't disabled or who aren't um, multiply marginalized. I don't know how (laughs) I want to say that, but um, that, you know, sort of like to bring in other aspects of body positivity, like... um, Uh, that weren't being sort of centered. And so it made more room for other people in the movement. Um, I think it brought in, uh, and when I was, you know, uh, I guess like coming up in the world, learning this stuff, it was happening on blogs. It was happening on live journal. Um, It was just starting to get, I think the, you know, the traction from the work that activists have been doing since, you know, the 1960s around fat acceptance to become more of a mainstream conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, and so as that's happened, I've seen the sort of the um, who gets centered in that movement shift as well to where body positivity, you know, back in 2010, where a lot of like radical fat writers were, you know, blogging about this and it sort of started to come into the mainstream has now, you know, become such a mainstream part of the conversation that even like diet companies and beauty companies now co-opt mm-hmm. the language of body positivity to sell stuff to us. You know, when that's sort of really ironic, right? Like, love yourself by (laughs) using this product to make your body better, you know, which is sort of like really antithetical to that. And I think also, you know, kind of as a movement, we've seen what happens to a lot of marginalized uh, movements created for and by marginalized people, which is that often the folks who are most marginalized, super fat folks, disabled folks, people of color, trans folks kind of get pushed Mm -hmm. to the margins again as dominant culture functions in this movement and the, you know, the smaller people, the proportional people, the white people are the ones that get more popularity or get taken more seriously Mm -hmm. or get the book deals or whatever it is. Right. 
So I think, you know, body positivity as a movement, um, and even that phrase, you know, I've gone back and forth of whether I still want to call this body positive, mm-hmm. right? Because it means something different now than it did then. But I've ultimately decided to stick with that because I want, you know, when people think of body positive yoga, I want them to hear this sort of radical take. Yeah. On, right. This isn't, this isn't all bodies matter yoga. Mm-hmm. So be real clear about that which it can, it can uh, turn into that, I think. And I've seen body positivity um, conversations and movements and sort of things happen like that, um, mm-hmm. that this is really about recognizing the ways that white supremacy and capitalism and, um, you know, patriarchy and their evil love child diet culture mm-hmm. <laughs> show up in show up in wellness spaces and show up in our lives in a way that, um, you know, really will have us living like self-loathing is supposed to be our part-time or full-time job. Mm -hmm. And that so many of us, you know, walk around with half our brain tied behind our backs because we're thinking about all the ways that we lack and all the ways we don't measure up and really like playing small and postponing our lives until the day we whatever, Mm -hmm. have a degree, have a baby, have a boyfriend, have a perfect body, whatever the thing is. Right. And so I think for me, you know, there's so many things from the practice that um, that this journey of like body acceptance, body positivity, whatever you want to call it, really go hand in hand with yoga. Mm. You know, it's a personal practice that I think is best done in community um, that oftentimes, you know, we think that our, our body is the problem that needs to be solved, right? If I was only skinny, then I wouldn't have any more problems and I would never think a hateful thought about myself because like skinny people. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Think bad thoughts about themselves. <laughs> right. But like, this is what we tell ourselves, <laughs> right? If once I finally have X, then everything will be fine. And actually what that's all about is managing our mind. Mm-hmm. And yoga is a practice of learning to pull back like all those wild trips that your mind likes to take you on, right? And in Sanskrit, it's uh, riti is the mm-hmm. word. And it means like the fluctuations of the mind or the disturbances in the mind. And if you think about like, you know, the surface of a lake or a puddle or a pool or whatever, um, when there's waves or there's wind across the surface, you can't see yourself clearly, right? It's that you can think of as like your thoughts, your emotions. Um, when it's still, when the mind is calm, when we rem- then we can like really see ourselves. We can remember the truth of who we are and that we're not our bank account. We're not our body. We're not our boyfriend. We're not our kids. You know, we're not the house that we have. Um, that at the core of who we are, you know, is really our worth is defined by our humanity, by that, you know, um, spirit, that inner radiance, like whatever you want to call it. Um, and so I think that you know, body positivity or that journey of body acceptance is very much the same that like our body image is not defined by the circumstances of what our body looks like. Our body image is defined by what we think mm-hmm. <laughs> about our body and then what feelings and actions are created from those. thoughts. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I've, I've noticed so many places where yoga and this journey of, you know, body acceptance or self acceptance overlap. And I think, um, And the practice to me has been such a catalyst for that sort of, I don't know, refriending or re-inhabiting the body that I have Mm. and not some future perfect body that I think is going to ride up on a horse and save me or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the terminology is so interesting and just, you know, noticing that at times like 
maybe certain words feel better than others and it depends on the context. But I I like your, the way that you describe kind of like how at least for right now, like body positive still feels like a resonant and an important idea. Um, I, I like how, you know, while I also appreciate the, the usefulness of like the body neutrality kind of idea around like, Hey, maybe how we judge and evaluate the aesthetic of our bodies just isn't all that important at all. And we should be aiming for focusing on some other stuff. Um, I also really appreciate, I think it, it really hit me when I was reading Sonia Renee Taylor's book where, you know, she is, like you said, that term radical talking about radical self-love and that, you know, we start in this home that we are in, in the physical world. Um, and so that, that does mean loving, not just like, uh, okay. Like, you know, so it's, it's a, it's a hard and nuanced, um, journey, but I think there, and there's maybe places where we have to lean more into the neutrality and maybe places where we can challenge ourselves to be like, leaning into the radical self-love. Um, but I know even before we started recording, mentioning just like how even when like your entire um, sort of ethos is based in this idea, right? And you have all of the knowledge, all of the, you know, just everything related mm-hmm. to that. Like that doesn't mean that you are exempt and that if if other people can just get to where amber is that you just will never have to have a negative body image thought again so i'd love for you to talk about that i'm so glad <laughs> you brought this up because the reason valerie's bringing this up is because when we came on to do the podcast there's like a video component here and i was like oh are we really recording the video or is this just for us i didn't put on any makeup my hair is kind of frizzy and like oh yeah of course we're coming on here to talk about <laughs> body image and here i am like worried about what i look like right And I think it's so um, important to call this out that like, it's not a one and done. It's not like you listen to this podcast, you go to a retreat or you take a class and then like fixed, done, never have to think about that again. Like I really think that body acceptance um, is more akin to being in recovery from an eating disorder or even a drug addiction where it's like, Um, you constantly have to unlearn and relearn. You constantly kind of have to be working on the project of getting your mind right to be able to like, I don't know, like um, be able to survive the sort of constant onslaught that we have of messages from society that tell us that we're not good enough. We're not worthy. We need to keep striving to be whatever Um, that, um, you know, Oh man, mm. thoughts just flew out of my head. Glad <laughs> I'm not the only it. one. Yeah, it's 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 something that yeah. Do you ever <laughs> forget where a sentence is going in the middle of it? I don't know. That's happening to me now. Um, so I think that uh, oh, here's what I want to say. When I first, um, you know, if we go back to like when I first found yoga and I was first like discovering all these blogs and people on the internet that were writing about who were fat, who didn't hate themselves. <laughs> oh my God, is that possible for me too? You know, I was in that sort of place. And I would, I would look at these, these writers and these like fashion people and whoever it was that I was admiring and be like, okay, well, there must be two kinds of people in the world. Like there's me and all my friends that I know who hate ourselves and like really don't ever want to be like seen in the light of day. <laughs> you know, that's hyperbole a little bit, but um, you know, the, I know self-loathing. I've like, I'm there. 
Um, and then I see these people who I think have made it, mm -hmm. you know, and they must not ever have a bad thought about themselves. And like, if I can only get there, then everything will be fine. And I think the part that we don't always talk about is that like messy middle mm -hmm. part, you know? And I think for me, that's one of the biggest reasons that like, I think community is so important when it comes to this type of journey, whether that's practicing yoga, whether that's self-acceptance, whether that's, you know, learning to set and enforce boundaries, like anything that I think you struggle with um, is like, if it's something that you want to work on, it happens more easily in mm -hmm. community because we get to tell each other stories because we get to say things like, uh, like we just talked about that, like, yes, I do this work full time. And even I am still in a daily practice of like remembering, like, duh, it doesn't matter if I showed up here with no makeup <laughs> because like, that has nothing to do with the point that I'm making, right? Or it does actually. But, um, that, you know, there, that we can show up. And I think one of the things that is powerful about community, especially around something like this, um, you know, a lot of body image, a lot of the mm, thoughts and feelings that we have about our bodies involve um, like shame and anger. And I think like emotions that are really um, maybe difficult for a lot of people, especially if, you know, you grew up in a household where it wasn't safe or possible to express your emotions or where, you know, maybe you're shut down if you talk about things. And I think being in a community where you can hear someone else's story and then say like, oh, wow, me too. And then like, shame is gone. You know what I mean? Like you can hear somebody else giving it, you know, talk about their lived experience and say like, yeah, me too. And this is what I did to deal with it. Like that, I think is so huge to be like, wait, I'm not alone in this. Wait, there are other, hold on. Like you can start to see the possibilities for yourself by seeing it in someone else first. Mm -hmm. And like, for me, that was definitely like what happened back in the day when I'm on the internet, like in the live journal communities and in the blogs, like being like, whoa, like this person, I want to be this person. <laughs> they look hot they look successful and they're fatter than me. Wait a minute. And then my brain breaks, you know, <laughs> and it's like, wait, if I think they're hot, people could think I'm hot. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. Like that kind of stuff. I think when you have those like mind blowing moments of, wow, this is possible for me too. Like it gives me goosebumps even just talking about it. And I'm thinking about, um, I don't know if, if you have seen a TV show shrill Not yet. I need to um, get to it. Okay, well, in season one, I think it's the fourth episode, there's this moment where the main character goes to um, a pool party that's cultivated for fat bodies. And the main character in the show is in a fat body. Um, and so she's never been, she's really sort of like, doesn't hate, like her body, you know, very insecure, mm -hmm. and then goes to this place where she sees all of, and this was a real, you know, Thing that happens in the world like the, these um i think this particular one was uh, modeled after uh chunky dunk which is um uh or it was a chunky dunk or okay i don't mm. remember exactly who it was whose party it was but people have been having these fat pool parties since like the nice 60s, um at least <laughs> and so it she comes in and gets to see like all the the people that look like her showing up in the world in a way that she has th thought she's never allowed to be seen, right? 
they're sexy, their skin is showing, they're mm. in bathing suits that are cute, they have these amazing umbrellas, they're laughing, they're drinking and eating, like, it's just a normal pool party, except everyone there looks like her. Mm. And if you've never been, you know, I think like, if you're a marginalized person um, in any way, and you've never been in a a community situation like that, where you're the majority, like, I can't recommend it enough. <laughs> Um, you know, and watch this episode as well. I think, especially if you're in a fat body, like just, um, mm -hmm. this episode for me, it was like, I, I may start crying <laughs> like talking about this, but seeing the positive representation of so many fat bodies in one place was just like, it's not something that we mm -hmm. see very much of in the world. And I think there's been a shift in representation in the past few years. You know, we now see a lot more diversity in, I think advertising and that's not because companies like are good hearted. That's because that, <laughs> they, they found out that's probably right. right. But it's still important. Representation is so important because it's one of the ways that society enforces and reinforces messages about who's worthy and who's mm -hmm. not. And if you think about the ways that, you know, growing up, you've seen fat people represented on TV in movies and books, right? It's usually not positive, mm -hmm. right? We're usually the butt of a joke or we're gross or stinky. It's or the, it's the defining character trait. Or, right. Or if we do get a positive story, it's some before and after weight loss narrative. Right. And so just the very fact of like, how you see yourself reflected in the world has such a big impact on the possibilities that you see for yourself, what you allow, the, the chances mm -hmm. you allow yourself to take, uh, the way you stand up for yourself or not, the way you allow yourself to be treated in a relationship, like it contributes to so much, yes. right? And so anyways, I got off on this rant about representation, yeah. but um, what I want to, but that, it does connect, I think, to that community thing in that if you're not seeing yourself represented <laughs> in dominant culture, seek that mm -hmm. out yourself you know, create those spaces or find those spaces where this is happening and where other people who are of your same lived experience, whether that's, you know, you're a person of color, you're transgender, you're queer, you're uh, disabled, like whatever it is um, that you surround yourself with people or you connect with people who can, I think community, you know, when it's done well is really a mirror, mm -hmm. right? A community is a mirror that holds up it holds up a mirror and says like, you are already whole, mm. you are already good enough. And you already have all the possibilities available to you that, you know, that the world can offer. And we're here to remind you of that. And I think that um, that can absolutely make the difference for people um, of whether, you know, uh, yeah, you can do this whole body journey alone, but I think that it's really hard to do it alone mm -hmm. when everything in dominant culture is trying to convince us that we're not good enough and we need to, uh, you know, spend our whole lives like working on the project and the problem that is our body. And we need to buy all these things to make ourselves, you know, and so on. Um, and that community is really that place where um, we can, you know, get a respite from that. Like it's, it's hard to, you know, it's, it's, it's countercultural to want to accept or God forbid, love, <laughs> you know, the body that you're mm -hmm. in. Like, I think on a, on a good day, getting to neutrality is, is a pretty big leap from your body is not good enough, period, full stop, which is what society teaches us to, 
you know, a place of love, like that's pretty dang far. Mm -hmm. Getting to that place where we accept like, this is the body that I'm in and finding that neutral place. I think A is definitely the first step Mm -hmm. on the journey. It definitely was for me and is for me still um, a lot of times. Um, But I think that, you know, oftentimes we can't even see those possibilities for ourselves until we see it in someone Mm -hmm. else like us. Yeah. And so like you're saying, it's, you know, those communities of, of shared identity can be so powerful in having a reparative experience of belonging and worthiness. Um, and then kind of the circle around that is like communities in general can and need to do a better job of representing Mm. that, you know, all different kinds of people so that people who are in those smaller shared identity communities know that they are welcome to the party too. And so that's super relevant in sort of the yoga and, you know, for lack of a better term, like the fitness industry with yoga sort of being in Mm -hmm. in many ways, a segment of that. And so I think like what's so important about that is that those spaces because they tend to just be like dominant culture dialed up to 11 as far as you know body yeah. and, and and just like um exclusivity goes it's like yeah. that's where so much healing even outside of the fitness world can happen because if people are showing up to a yoga class a fitness class some, a, a gym something like that, a, an, a, you know, athletic wear store, and they are seeing themselves welcome and included and represented, that goes a long way in just our cultural healing of, of that kind of a damaging exclusivity. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, making space for people, you know, if we're talking about people now who build community or who own businesses or whatever that is, like creating more space for people, I think is not only sort of the, um, the right thing to do, but also helps your bottom line, (laughs) right? Like it widens your, it widens Mm -hmm. your, um, possible customer base. Um, it gives you, Uh, You know, for a lot of, I I tell a lot of yoga teachers that I work with who maybe are um, marginalized identities or bigger bodies, like whatever it is that, you know, they may think that they're different or the thing that's different about them, you know, from the sort of like mainstream image of yoga, which is very thin and white and fitness oriented, right? Like if they're not that, actually your difference is often your superpower because right now that population is very well served, but most people like you are not centered or not served in these spaces. And so just by virtue of you being part of those spaces, like it, it confers authority onto that space. It makes it safer for people who look like you. And I think that's, you know, one of the biggest things that we look for when we are considering like, is a space safe for me or not? Can I look around and find other people who look like me there? Mm -hmm. It's real primal Mm -hmm. way of knowing where we belong as humans, right? And if we only see the images that are often used for like yoga marketing, we would maybe assume that yoga is for skinny young Mm -hmm. blonde women or something, right? And so in reality, this practice has very little to do with what you look like or what your body can do. Um, And so 
I think, um, you know, considering like ways that you can make your space more accessible is really important for a lot of reasons. And, you know, when we think about accessibility, I think that often goes toward like wheelchair accessibility mm -hmm. is kind of the only thing that people think about, right? Like is the physical space accessible or not? Um, and that's definitely one piece of it. I think making physical space accessible for not only people who use mobility devices, but also people in larger bodies. Um, you know, do you have seating that's gonna work for everyone? Do you have enough, uh, do you have, let's say if you're a yoga studio, props that are gonna be supportive for people at higher weights or whatever, right? There are a lot of sort of physical things to think of, um, but accessibility really shows up in a lot of different ways. You know, we're not single issue people. <laughs> we don't lead single issue mm -hmm. lives. And so, um, you know, showing up uh, or creating a space that works for folks with physical disabilities, is one aspect, but also, um, you know, where is your place located? You know, is there public transportation or ways that people can get there? Um, is there, what time are you holding your classes? Is that only going to work for people with a nine to five mm -hmm. job? What about financial accessibility? Do you have ways for folks who are experiencing financial difficulty to participate in your programs? Um, what about the, uh, like trauma-informed aspects of the way that your business operates? You know, are you uh, calling people by the names and the pronouns they want to mm -hmm. use? Are you making sure that you're using, you know, trauma-sensitive um, practices in your teaching, whether that's like offering, you know, alternative options for things that may not feel safe to some people, mm -hmm. like, you know, closing your eyes, for instance. Um, some, a lot of people in yoga, it's often like, close your eyes, we're going to do all this stuff with our eyes closed. Um, some people that's not going to feel good and they're not going to feel safe in their body, which means they're not practicing mm -hmm. whatever you're saying anyway. Right. And so it's maybe close your eyes or soften your gaze or anchor your vision to an object in the room, like whatever is going to feel most supportive to you. It can be that simple as like changing a cue. Um, it can be, uh, having a consent policy that's part of your community of like, how do we operate around touch, especially, you know, if you're a yoga teacher, like, are you going to give hands on assist? How are you making sure that you have consent? Right. So accessibility can look lots mm -hmm. of different ways. And I think the more that we can do, you know, as teachers, as community builders, space holders, business owners, whatever um, label applies to you whoever's listening, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, the more we can do to sort of like, I think, care for the human element and like get closer to being a space where folks feel like they don't have to leave parts of themselves outside of the door. Yes. Long. Like that's yeah. kind of my thing is like, I've showed up in a lot of places where it was like, I wasn't allowed to talk about the experience I was having as a fat person, or I wasn't really you know, uh, maybe I'm in a space in a work environment where it's all men and I'm not really allowed to fully show up as a woman. Like, right, I have to conduct myself in a certain way to belong or to be taken seriously there. And I think that sort of um, like gatekeeping is really the um, antithesis to being able to do any of the practice that we're talking about, mm -hmm. whether that's self-acceptance or whether that's the journey of yoga, that this feeling of agency or um, what I like to, you know, agency is like this sense of that you have some choice and some control and some understanding about what's happening in your body and your life. Mm -hmm. And that creates a sense of safety, right? Knowing that you have some personal power. And I think that, you know, one thing we often forget as um, 
any sort of like person that holds space for a group of people, whether that's fitness instructor or a therapist or a retreat leader, whoever you are, that that safety, that feeling of safety in the body um, that agency creates is, I think, a prerequisite to almost anything we're asking this group of people mm-hmm. to do, whether that's close their eyes and breathe for a few minutes or share really personal stuff or whatever we're doing in that community space, you know? And so I think a lot of times, you know, I'll get some pushback from folks who are like, oh my God, it's just so tedious. We have to think about every little thing <laughs> and how we say everything and la 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 la. Like, oh my gosh, can't we just have class? Actually, yeah, I want your teaching to reach these people yeah. and they be able to participate in it. And this is a prerequisite for them. Mm-hmm. Like making people feel safe enough where they can be themselves, where they can show up imperfect, where they can come as they mm-hmm. are and you know, use what they have and do what they can, um, like Arthur Ashe says, is really, I think, the the basis for whatever the, the journey is you're trying to take them on. Mm-hmm. Because that's how human beings function. Belonging is so primal to us, right? Like, and this isn't just like your brain that's broken because like you're an insecure person. Like right. literally the limbic system in our brain or like lizard brain, it's called sometimes, like its whole job is to be scanning all the time for threats. Like, are we safe? Do we belong? Mm-hmm. Is this gonna, right? And so back in the day when we were like around a fire hunting and gathering, right? It was literally life and death if you were in or out of the tribe, right? And so like that conditioning is still there and that threat scanner is still doing it all the time, even though sometimes it's like, it's not gonna be life and death if you fit in in a yoga class or not, but like our brain and our body still think it's like mm-hmm. that, you know? And so this very high stakes sort of primal need for belonging and for community and for meaning is still there. And it just maybe shows up a little bit different. But I think that if we can, you know, as space holders, as teachers, community builders, whatever, really think about like caring for that human element first um, in all the ways that that shows up, it makes the rest of whatever you're doing so much more um, stick so much better, so much more meaningful, so uh, feels like more options for, for people to participate rather than like, you just have to show up yeah. healed and ready to do this work. Right. You know what I And mean? I would say that whatever it is you're offering, whatever, if it is a yoga or fitness kind of thing, or it's a something entirely different that you are somehow a gatekeeper or, or space holder of what you are offering becomes a lot about a lot more than just that thing. It becomes an opportunity for like, human heart to heart, like cultural healing. Um, Like what you Mm -hmm. were saying about when people have to leave a part of themselves outside the doors. um, It's like, there are ways that spaces or offerings might technically be accessible to them. Like, well, there's no, they can, you know, this, you know, yes, we've got um, a wheelchair ramp. We've got this, but, but if, if they don't, feel genuinely welcome and included, then, then, you know, that's a part of the problem. And, and I'm even thinking, I'm probably gonna get myself in trouble, but um, I uh, was on Instagram the other day and saw this new studio that's opened in town. And my first thought, and, and, you know, it's very like sleek Instagram feed, very pretty, um, Mm -hmm. had some like appealing class names and stuff. And I was like, 
why haven't I been asked to teach there? Cause the studio where I did teach closed during COVID and like some of my other friends are teaching there and should I, what should I teach there? And then I kept scrolling and I was like, literally all I'm seeing is, is white women and white thin women who look like me. And, and as much as like, I'm aware, like the kind of, um, I don't even know the right word for this, but the, the irony of, of me saying this, of being aware of the privilege that I hold, I do, I want to vote with my dollar and I do not want to go into a yoga space where 90% of the people look like me. Like I belong a hundred percent. I belong in pretty much every space that's not male dominated or religion dominated, but because you know, the whole, my liberation is bound up in yours. And because like, that's the kind of world that I want to see, then I am doing a disservice if I am going and teaching at this studio or, you know, even taking a class without opening up that line of questioning of why am I not seeing Mm. something else here? Yeah. 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 Thanks for, for saying that. I think, um, yeah, it's definitely, I don't know. I get a question from a lot of studio owners um, over the years of like, what can I do to see more diversity in my classes? Mm-hmm. Like hire diversity. You're right. Teams. That's like mm-hmm. the biggest answer. And sometimes the answer I get back is like, well, I don't think we have any black or brown or fat or immigrant or <laughs> uh-huh. whatever teachers in my town. And it's like, okay, well, that is a big sort of note to mm-hmm. me that says maybe you're really isolated in whatever your identity mm-hmm. is, right? that maybe there's a chance for you to start um, seeking out communities that center other identities that aren't showing up in your space, because guess what? Those people aren't coming into yoga studios Mm -hmm. and they're not coming into the place where you are, but there's black and brown and disabled and fat and queer people practicing yoga everywhere and teaching yoga everywhere. Um, They just may not be showing up in the same Facebook groups and teaching rosters and festival lineups that we're used to seeing. Mm And so, um, you know, I really encourage uh, folks, if yoga teachers, if studio owners, um, other, you know, fitness instructors, any space holder kind of people are listening. Um, The Accessible Yoga community on Facebook is a great place to join. There's actually a Facebook group. um, And we, um, Accessible Yoga Association is a a nonprofit organization. Um, Disclaimer, I'm president (laughs) of the board of directors uh, as of this year. Um, that I do a lot of work with, um, and we we do a ton of programming around these issues, um, around the ways that, um, and our, our mission is really around education and advocacy and bringing yoga to folks who aren't currently, you know, centered in the practice and uplifting marginalized voices. And so we have a lot of training and programming. We have conferences. We have monthly uh, community forums that are around creating space for different um, communities. So like June right now we, is about uh, creating queer and trans affirming spaces. Um, in July, we're talking about yoga and aging. Mm. In August, yoga and larger bodies. And so even if you're not a yoga instructor, there are still probably a lot of takeaways mm. for you in some of this programming about how to create spaces for people that are um, different than you or that hold a marginalized identity. Um, so I'd encourage everybody to check out those resources. We've got a ton of free stuff that we offer and also ways that you can contribute um, and get training and that kind of thing. So I just want to mention Absolutely. that as a, as a resource. Yeah. And congratulations on that, uh, being in that position. Thanks. That's pretty exciting. 
It is exciting. It's really, I'm really grateful that I get to be part of that work and be able to, um, you know, give back a little bit to the community in that way. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's a lot to be trusted to help like guide yeah. that organization. Um, that's done a lot for me and for, I think so many thousands of people around the world. It's, it's really, really yeah. Cool. And before we get into more of just like what you're doing and offering right now, I would love to know if there's any just other um, ways that you practice or lean into embodiment or bodyfulness that you want to share with us. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now I'm really into riding my bike. Cool. <laughs> this has kind of been something um, that I've done in the pandemic um, because I couldn't do a lot of the, you know, normal sort of indoorsy Mm. things. And so um, that has been really cool, sort of another way that I've um, gotten into my body and sort of, um, yeah, uh, I'm loving that. I'm loving it as a way to explore a city that I'm sort of new to as well. Um, And in the past, um, when I was able to go to gyms, more weightlifting Mm. too, um, kind of served a big role. Uh, in the way that yoga did and sort of like yoga for me was about sort of um, observing and being curious and really like learning this body. And the weightlifting for me was about like finding power Mm. in in a body that people, you know, that society has taught me is not good or not healthy or not worthy or not hot or, you know, all Mm -hmm. those things. And for me, like finding my personal power, both like with my mind through yoga and through, you know, uh, weightlifting, like finding this sort of like physical power that was there, like, you know, there's assets to having a bigger body. And one of them is like, we're, we're plenty strong, Mm -hmm. most of us. Um, And so it was kind of cool to connect with my body in a way of like, ooh, I am naturally good at something. Like, I, I don't have to buy into all these myths about fat people and athleticism, you know, they're actually not true. Like I know a ton of people who are amazing athletes and bigger bodies. And so um, for me, like those, as far as physical pursuits, I think also um, my connection with nature is definitely a big one for me. Um, I walk in, in the park or in nature or wherever I can, like I try to get outside every day. um, And Um, even if that's just, you know, taking the dog out a couple of times, if I have a really busy day or getting to like, take myself on a little walk or whatever. Um, I try to not have my phone. I try to like, at least take a few minutes to really almost do sort of like a walking meditation thing where I'll like notice the sounds around me. I'll feel how it feels for my feet to be on the ground. Um, I'll really like take time to be in my body in the Mm -hmm. moment in whatever the natural environment is that I'm in. Like, it's not really more of a structured thing always, but it's just sort of a habit that I've tried to like slip into when I, when I inhabit those spaces. And it really, I don't know. I think for me, um, noticing the ways that like, um, the natural world like plays Mm. into, um, I don't know, every single, I don't know. I'm just thinking of like, we have all these worries and concerns, mm-hmm. but like climate change is coming to get us, you know? And, and the earth like, is our larger like body. So... Exactly. Yeah. And so the ways that body and earth are connected mm-hmm. and body and, you know, nature mm-hmm. or space or like whatever relationship you want to make, like that's been something that's been crucial to me. Oh, and I want to mention one more thing, yeah. which is sort of weird and maybe not like an experience that other people want to check out, but 
I have for the past few years um, attended uh, cadaver dissections with a guy named Gil Headley. So he runs a thing called Integral Anatomy. And so he hosts these week-long um, labs uh, where uh, 30, 40 people come together and um, there are several uh, cadavers that are donated to this program and we explore the body in a totally different way. It's really not about, um, and it's mostly body workers, yoga teachers, mm -hmm. massage therapists, um, some like artists, dancers, like medical professionals, different kinds of people show up with different backgrounds, but like a deep interest in the body mm -hmm. or embodiment. And for me, it's been so cool. And and the way that we do it is, I don't know, Gil is a really special person. He's like not a doctor or anything. He's like, his degree is in like ethics and he's a poet mm. and he's like uh, a rolfer. And so he has, I think, very unique perspectives. Um, it's not sort of a, a medical mm -hmm. dissection or, or a, an anatomy lab in that way, but we, we look at relationships between the tissues of the body mm. and, um, and I, I feel like having those experiences where I've really gotten to see, I don't know, the physicality and like put my hands on and in and around like the things that, I don't know, I can feel those things in myself. I can, um, it's made me more, um, I think, connected to my mm. own body to understand like how things work or be like, oh, I've demystified what that sensation yeah. is because now I know. You know, and so it's been really cool to be able to connect like that knowledge of like the biology to sort of like, I don't know how that plays out in like my own body and then like the way that I can share that with my students. Yeah. So it's sort of been, um, I don't know, not something that I've written or talked mm. about a lot, but has been such a big um, personal learning catalyst for me. Yeah. That no, that's so cool. I mean, and that to me like fits right into that realm of bodyfulness because it's sort of like give like you said gave you that experience of like now that I have seen this or touched this like I have a deeper felt sense of this in my own body and can reflect on that and yeah how cool yeah mm. yeah. yeah so tell us about all of the things that you are doing which is um a lot of things <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's a it's been an interesting um, thing to sort of pivot in this uh, COVID era, mm -hmm. right? So before COVID, I was doing a lot of, I traveled a lot, um, about three weekends out of the month. I led retreats. I did a lot of in-person trainings and events. And so for the past, I don't know, I, I want to say year, but it's been longer than a year now. From the pandemic time, uh, since the pandemic time, I have um, been teaching online exclusively. Um, I, you know, the pandemic happened in the middle of my, uh, or towards the end of a 200 hour teacher training that I was leading. And so we ended up finishing that online and never finished now because <laughs> we didn't have a regular graduation mm. or any of those things. So I've, you know, really been, um, instead of kind of doing all the things that I was doing pre-COVID, um, one of the things I've done is um, the work that I mentioned with the Accessible Yoga Association, so we can talk about some events there, but also um, working with Jeevana Heyman, who is the founder of Accessible Yoga, to set up um, a school, an online school around topics of equity in yoga. And so one of the things we did was put the Accessible Yoga training online, which is a 30-hour um, sort of accessibility in yoga 101 uh, course. I think if you're interested in this topic, if you uh, resonated with the things I'm saying about creating inclusive space, definitely check out that training. It's 
um, we get a lot of people, not just yoga teachers, but also like PTs and mm. um, occupational therapists and people who build community. Um, we talk about a lot of different topics from, you know, racism in community spaces to um, disability awareness to how to adapt uh, the physical practice mm -hmm. of yoga. It's really sort of a broad um, maybe survey course on that. Um, and so we also at the school, so we have been one of those coming up in September of this year, September, 2021. And if you go to accessibleyogatraining.com, you can get on the interest list for that course and also see the other courses we're offering. We have a really cool one about um, justice focused marketing and how to like market yourself as a yoga teacher or a fitness professional or whoever, um, and still stay connected to your values. And so we tried to put out, um, some courses this year from folks with marginalized identities who we don't traditionally really get to hear from as mm -hmm. much. Um, you know, even in the sort of niche of yoga and accessibility, there's sort of the same 10 of us that get asked to teach at the teacher mm -hmm. trainings and host the courses and all that stuff. And so it was important to us to create a space where we could start to platform some folks who maybe are amazing teachers, but sort of underestimated mm -hmm. by the, the system of yoga or this like, quote unquote, industry that we're in. And so that's been my primary project that I've been working on this past year. Um, and there are some really good courses coming up for that. So I'd encourage everybody to check out AccessibleYogaTraining.com. Um, also accessible yoga, the organization, I'm doing a lot of work with them, um, as the president of the board. And so we have, um, a couple of things coming up that would be cool to check out. Um, every month we have a community forum on a topic or, um, so the topics can be like, I mentioned a few yoga for larger bodies, yoga and aging. We're going to have one on yoga and pain care, um, things like that. So each month we have a community forum where we bring together people in the, in the community who want to talk about this topic and that's facilitated by a moderator. So some really rich discussions happen there. We also have a workshop and an asana class on whatever the theme or the population is. So we're going to be featuring different teachers that way. And then in October, we'll be having our accessible yoga conference, which moved online mm. last year for the first time. And we're going to continue to offer an online conference every year, even when we go back to having in-person events. Mm. Um, which I'm not sure when that will be, but probably next year sometime. Um, and so the online conference is amazing. It's held over, I think we're doing four days this time. We're kicking off with a with a, an intensive around um, uh, yoga and race. Mm -hmm. um, and also um, then we have three days packed with keynotes and presenters and asana classes and panels and lots of different things around all topics, mm -hmm. yoga and accessibility. So if you're interested in this topic, I really encourage you to check out the conference. It's, um, it's amazing. It's a great place to meet other people. I know for me, uh, sometimes it can feel lonely to feel like you're the only one out there who, you know, in the past, like in my local community, like the only one who cares about these things. Like if you've ever had that feeling, come to the conference. Mm. Like it's a place to like meet everybody that I think is doing the really interesting work around equity and yoga and creating space that where people don't have to leave parts of themselves mm -hmm. at the door. Um, so, and then um, I, you know, my website is like really out of date because I've been focusing on these other projects um, this year. But I want to say that if you go to my website, bodypositiveyoga.com and drop your email to get on the email list, um, then you'll be the first to know when I announce um, my next retreats. I throw retreats every year. Well, except for 2020. <laughs> 
Um, I used to throw retreats every year and I do intend to pick that back up around this topic of yoga and self-acceptance. And we do some really fun stuff. Um, I've had them in Virginia, California, Mexico, all over the place. Um, and we swim and we talk about this stuff and we dance and we do some yoga and we cry and we laugh and blah, blah, blah. It's like a really cool, fun community event. Um, and if you've never um, been in one of those community spaces where you really felt like, oh my gosh, I can relax. I can be myself. No one here is judging me. I can show up exactly how I need to. Like, that's what I strive for with my retreats. And that's what I hear from people that come to the retreats. And don't underestimate the power of like being in a space where you actually can show up as yourself and the, the way that that feels um, safe to really, I think like have whatever type of experience you need to have. Like I would love to have you, any of you listening, be part of that type of experience. So drop your email. And as soon as I announce my retreats or the next in-person events, um, you will be the first to know. So that's, that's coming soon. I'm having surgery this summer um, for an injury that I got a few months ago. And so it may be a bit before I um, announce that, but I'm hoping, you know, early 2022 or um, next spring to throw a retreat in person. Mm -hmm. It's my favorite thing to do in the world. <laughs> so I'm really excited about being able to get back in person. Cool. So, yeah. Awesome. And all of those links will be in the show notes and also at your website. You still have the chair yoga course, right? Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. So um, I should probably, admit, I'll be better at plugging. <laughs> <laughs> there is, there is on my website, a few ways that you can participate um, sort of asynchronously mm -hmm. with me. So I have um, a membership called the Body Positive Clubhouse, which is sort of a vault of resources around yoga, body positivity, body image, body neutrality, all those things. There's lots of classes, there's writing, there's meditations, there's journaling prompts. And so that's a really great place that people can check out. And then I also have a chair yoga program, which is 15 classes. Um, eight of them are completely seated classes, which is kind of a hard thing to find if you're Googling chair yoga or you're on YouTube or something. Um, so there's eight that are completely seated and seven that use the chair. There's a few guided meditations and it's by donation or pay what you can. So you can get free access right away if that's what you need, or you're welcome to make a donation. And most of the time I just let that money pile up in Venmo and I donated to someone anyway. <laughs> so know that if you're donating, um, that it's probably going to get paid for it also. So you can feel good about that. Mm -hmm. And it's an excellent, that <laughs> yeah, it's an excellent course. And, you know, if people hear the term chair yoga and are like, well, I, I can do quote regular yoga. Why would I do chair yoga? That sounds boring. Like you'd be surprised. So give it a shot. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's always, even if you like are able to never mm -hmm. do yoga from a chair or whatever, I think it's important to like, A, have options for the mm -hmm. days that maybe you don't feel so great, right? Bodies change. Or you have day. an injury or you, minute. you know, are at work and don't have right. space. Right. Or maybe you have a friend that you've mm -hmm. always wanted to share yoga with, but you don't really know how to make yeah. it uh, available to them, you know? So, um, I, yeah, I encourage people to check that out and, um, thanks for, for yeah, that. yeah, of course. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation. It was so lovely. And I just appreciate all the things that you are offering to the community. Thank you. Thanks for having me and for creating this space. Really appreciate it. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you feel moved to share it with someone you think would love it, that would mean so much to me. For show notes, head over to GaiaCenter.co and follow us on Instagram at the Gaia Center and at Val K. Martin, V-A-L-K-A-Y Martin. And if you're into animal stuff and delicious vegan food, be sure to check out my other podcast, Vegan and Vibrant. See you next time.